Welcome to the podcast for ambitious women. I'm your host, Dr. D. Franey. If you're a leader, innovator, or change maker, you belong here. Because around here, ambitious women are encouraged to have big, bold, unapologetic goals and dreams, and given the tools to execute and achieve them without the pressure, hustle, overwhelm, or burnout. Ladies, it's time to unlock your potential. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today's episode is so rad. If you've ever wondered what it would be like to run for office, this episode is for you. But first, let me tell you about today's guest, Angel Castillo. She is based in Ogden, Utah. She is a marketing consultant with deep local advocacy roots. She serves Ogden as a board member for YCC, Roads to Independence, and as an executive committee member with the Ogden NAACP. As a former planning commissioner for Ogden City, Angel had a front row seat to how local government directly impacts quality of life. Knowing real change comes from shifting power and creating policy, she ran for Ogden mayor in 2019. While the race went to the two-term incumbent to be just 7.5% shy of winning is monumental considering Angel lived in Ogden just under two years at the time of election. Angel is a champion for affordable housing, equity and inclusion, unsheltered advocacy, and public safety. She uses the Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote, women belong in all places where decisions are being made unapologetically and will repeatedly ask you to run for office. And yes, she is running in 2023. You guys, this episode has so many good truth bombs, so much good information. So buckle up. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody. I am super excited for today's So guest. funny that they put that there with the recording. Okay. <laughs> I know, it is really weird. It, I think it's to get consent. Well, no, I find it funny because you, it, I get it, and, and it should happen, but Utah's a one-party recording state. You can record anybody, Utah, New York, uh, and there's a there's a handful of other states that you can record anybody at any time, and it's your right. Well, that's really weird. Yeah, kind of okay, creepy. Okay, it seemed like there was a lag there, but it seems like it's gone away. Or maybe it hasn't. No, we're good. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm going to shut up and let you do your thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give it a pause second for a second so I can find it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited for today. We've got Angel Castillo here. Hi, how are you? Hi, good morning. Hi. Well, maybe, depending on where you are. I know. <laughs> Late afternoon for me, but you know, there's people from all over the world, like 23 odd countries that are listening to this podcast now. So cool. Wow. I'm looking for somebody in Antarctica. So if you know anyone in Antarctica, <laughs> that's the only continent that isn't doesn't have a listener. <laughs> Need to put a pin in that. <laughs> I know, right? It is on my it's on my dream board, my vision board. <laughs> All right. Well, I always start with this question. So, Angel, have you always been an ambitious woman? Yeah. When did you first? Hard stop. <laughs> yeah, hard stop. Right. 
Uh, I answered your question, Dee. I think it has a lot to do with um, how I was raised. And um, I was raised in an environment, uh, my dad and my mom split up when I was less than a year old. So I never knew my dad, I never met my dad. Um, and my mom was a single mom, worked two jobs, nights at a factory. And uh, so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother and my aunt. So I was essentially raised by women without any real men in the picture. And so there's there was no modeling of traditional roles yeah. um, in, in that environment. And then I attribute a lot to it. Um, my, my mom, you know, did the best that she could with the tools that she had. And it took me a lot of therapy to say that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, we had a tumultuous relationship for a, a little bit, you know, when you get into your teen years, uh, but but it's all good now. Anyway, um, my mom was, I, I was born and raised in Chicago. So at the time in the uh, early seventies, I'm 53, if you're trying to do the math, um, my mom, uh, we lived in Chicago. And at that time, public schools were not the best or the safest place to be for children. And so my mom decided that she was going to um, find a private school to get me into it, which is kind of ridiculous considering, you know, she was, you know, barely making a living wage, but she figured it out. And she, uh, she got me into the school on a, a scholarship, a, a need-based scholarship. Mm -hmm. And then because she worked nights, she was available to drive the, the school bus in the afternoons. So she had this little part-time hustle, plus the need scholarship, plus the full-time job that she was working on, on other, you know, she was working at two different factories to get a whole week of work. Um, but that school was, uh, it was a private Lutheran school, St. John Lutheran. And it was in a suburb of Chicago called Niles. And uh, it was run by a bunch of idealistic, uh, you know, crunchy granola teachers and the classroom size. My, uh, my, the classroom had uh, 20 people and 10 in one grade and 10 in another. And then the, the teacher would just bounce back and forth. And the long and the short of it is Every single teacher in that school and that environment was you can do anything, you can be anything. And now that I think back of it, it was almost kind of homeschooly. So they <laughs> they they literally adjusted what they were teaching to meet the needs of the students and they let students break out. I mean, here you are in first grade and you get your own little reading corner because you're so you're you're in a different world than the people that you're reading with, right? And so the, that kind of flexibility of do your own thing, figure out what you like, pursue what you want, you can do anything, you could be anything. I think that's a combination of my that, that school and my family of never having that traditional modeling of men do this and women do this. Oh man, we could easily go off on a total tangent about schooling and the importance right? of, of, of right. how you were taught and what that, mm -hmm. what that gave you. But I love the fact that, that you can do anything messaging that you received and even watched your mom do it. Even mm -hmm. maybe there was that tumultuousness. And, you know, I think we have that in every family in some respects, but like just to, to see that in action while mm -hmm. you're getting that messaging, what like a fundamental part of like, Mm -hmm. Right. It, it like weaves itself into the fiber of your, of who you are. Mm -hmm. And my, uh, 
my grandmother always had a, a part-time gig so that she could have money to do whatever she wanted to do with that money. And, you know, so, so between, you know, seeing that I, 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 my first job was in fifth grade. I worked at a candy shop, a chocolate shop, Mork's chocolate shop uh, across the street from where I lived. And, you know, I mean, so it, the, the whole women work, that's just what I grew up with. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, how did you get from the little girl who was told that she could do anything to where you are now? Well, wow. Um, <laughs> are you talking about uh, being a marketing consultant, running for mayor? Um, I mean, any and all of it. Like, tell us how you got here. How did you become who you are? Um, wow, that's a really hard question. Um, <laughs> I have I have had a very, uh, because I've always worked, um, I left home when I was 16. So I've had a full-time job ever since I was 16. And uh, I have done just about everything, right? As far as like gigging it. I remember um, in, uh, when I moved to California in 2000 for a dot-com startup, um, I, for a while, I worked at a uh, headhunting firm mm -hmm. as a human, you know, a recruiter kind of person. And when you're chit-chatting with everybody and it's like, you know, they'd ask, I'm like, oh no, this is how that works. Well, how do you know that? Well, I did that for like four or five months or well, how do you know that? Well, I had that job for four or five months. And they're like, is there anything that you haven't done? And I'm like, well, you know, when you leave home, when you're 16, you do what you've got to do. So I've held a myriad of jobs and um, it's it just figured out how uh, a lot of different business models work. And, you know, when you're in your, when you, your brain isn't fully cooked when you're in your early twenties, right. You know, so you blunder through a lot of things and, um, you know, you figure, you, you figure, you sort of figure things out. And I kind of got where I am. Uh, I've never been told that, you know, you can't do things. And so, you know, when, uh, I, I think I really didn't have a true career until 2000, it was just kind of like, you know, going from one thing to the other and just sort of like, well, this is okay. And, you know, I'm qualified to do this and, you know, and doing my life. But when I'm, when I moved out to uh, California, Los Angeles to work for this internet startup company, that's really when I started having a career as opposed yeah. to just a job and figuring out what I wanted to do. And that's kind of how I, I started getting into to marketing because when you when you work for a startup it's not a lot of money but yeah. you get to write your own ticket i mean you know because because it's not a lot of money and they're like hey i've got this great idea and i need these people and it's almost always friends of friends of like yeah i know this person that might be good for this person and and i had uh, i i was brought along with a uh, a person that i had worked for in japan I lived in Japan for uh, three years and um, I went there to teach English just because I didn't have anything better to do because <laughs> um, the company that I, I, I originally I was like an office manager for a, a uh, technology company in Chicago. Let's see what year was that? Um, I think it was 21 maybe. 
And I did that for like four or five years and it was a really great mom and pop shop. And they had a, uh, they, they did a new venture and then uh, the new venture didn't work out and they were gonna close that company and they were kind of downsizing and they're like, well, here are your choices. You can go to California or you can leave here. Uh, you know, and we'll, we'll send you to California and they paid all my moving expenses. So I lived in Encinitas for about a year and that venture didn't work out. And I had, uh, I'm like, well, now I don't have a job. Now what do I do? And I'm looking through the ads in the paper and I saw an ad for, uh, you know, come to Japan, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> and, and it was, a, it was a great experience. It was really cool. Cause Japan is a culture that just, com it's complete culture shock. It is unlike anything Western. And, um, I started teaching English and then I met someone uh, that was doing uh, helping Americanize bars and restaurants because the, at, the, at that time in the early 90s, like I think it's like 93 maybe, um, the, that was really big in Japan of getting a true Western experience. And so the Japanese hired uh gaijin foreigners to come in and and you know westernize their models and uh i got to know this uh this guy really well and we did we did one and then we did another and i stopped teaching english and then we started um not only opening help, helping people open restaurants and bars we started throwing parties <laughs> that was good so uh, so that was the big thing there were western dance parties and we'd bring in djs and things like that and and that's really where i i kind of cut my teeth on you want people to go to this place and consume this good and how do you do that and how do you yeah. find those people and how do you message to those people and how do you make your thing special that they want to go to this thing and so i guess that's really where it started out and i was there for three years and then i went home and uh because it was you know just how things work out where i i my my visas were up i couldn't i couldn't do it anymore and so i went home and uh then this guy did a lot of work for mtv and vh1 and uh so he I, I flew out and i did a couple of uh, productions with them and then he got this offer to do an internet startup and then i came out for that and that that's actually how the whole thing really i guess started i mean wow. that's like the the early 2000 i mean i did the I, I i did some stuff for mtv and vh1 in the late 90s and then the isp was 2000 and that's when i had this like you know well what are you you're the director of marketing cool <laughs> and, and so that's kind of how it all started out and um there you have it i love that just you know, done different things like revolving around marketing for a while um let's see i spent when i decided i was really going to do it as a as a career um in 2008 i think 2008 or 2009 i took a job with uh Allied it's oh, their name has changed so many times. Um, it used to be Allied Integrated Marketing. It's now Allied Global, I believe, and they're one of the largest uh, experiential marketing firms in in the world. They handle all of finished films. Like when a film comes out from a studio, it needs to be tested and and it needs to be rolled out, and then you need to build buzz and you do screenings and 
premieres and all that kind of stuff. And so I got a job as a publicist there. And that's kind of where, I mean, when you work for an agency, it's brutal. It's, you know, 14, 16 hour days. And they just throw you into the pool. And I am a learner by doing, I just watch other people doing, and I'm like, I can do that. And you sort of pick it up. And then because Los Angeles is, everybody's got a side hustle, right? Everybody's got a book, a jewelry line, a clothing line. I, I mean, they've got something, right? And once they found out that I was working for a a major advertising firm, they would start at, like, well, what should I do? What can I do? And then it got to the point where they would hire me for little side gig stuff. And then I got to the point where I was working like 80 hours a week and I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so that's when I left and I started doing it myself. And that's a really interesting experience because it's, um, you know, yay, I just got this great job. I just got $12,000. I haven't worked for two months now. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's this, it's this yeah, up and down closer. kind of thing that is, <laughs> it's terrifying, but it's also given me an extraordinary freedom to, to do the things that I want to do. And that's uh, one of the upsides of, you know, being able to be a consultant. And when I ran for mayor, I was doing all of this stuff for myself. I was doing my own, my social media, my media, and and the fact that I'm a consultant meant that I could actually schedule so that I could do things when I need to do them. Like if I want to go to a county meeting, I can go to a county meeting, right? And I want to go to, you know, I want to serve on a board. I can do that because I can stop in the middle of the day and take three hours to go to a board meeting. So, you know, I'm, I, I realize there's a lot of privilege in that, but I also, that didn't happen until I was 40. Yeah. So I think that's really important to know that, um, you know, everybody shows you this Instagram, oh, my life is great. And I'm like, it's not always like that. There's a lot of suffer. There's a lot of struggle, um, you know, and people see the duck floating on the top of the water, but they do not see the feet thrashing yes. underneath <laughs> to, to move it. And, you know, it didn't just happen and it took time. Um, so that's, I, I guess, if you take one parting shot, it's like you can start a career at any age in life. Um, and that you, uh, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's possible and it doesn't have to look like what everybody else thinks it looks like. It can be whatever you want it to look like. It's so true. I've, I've, you know, in talking to so many different people and hearing their journeys and, and how they got to where they are to the career, it's never rarely it's not a straight line ever near <laughs> that makes sense. And I think that sometimes people like, look at other careers and be like, oh, they must have known what they wanted right from, from the beginning. And, and like the misconception is that like, oh, this decision I have, I make now has to like be specifically putting me in that place that I want to be. And I think that like for so many people, it, like, and this is what I hear, heard you saying is that like, you kind of just followed like your interest and your curiosity and what sounded like fun or were kind of what, what was available to you because of connections that you had. And because of following that, it's, it's created this career. Um, yeah. It's like homeschooling for adults. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, even for me, right. As a trailing military spouse, there was so much of like, okay, I'm going to kind of reinvent myself. I'm going to do, take a, say yes to something that maybe I wouldn't have. And, but it all kind of came together and it, and it make now it makes sense. But at each time it was just like, Oh, is this it? Like, <laughs> so I think that that, yeah, releasing some of that pressure and just going with like, what sounds interesting? What sounds fun? What, 
um, following that curiosity and trusting that like building skill all along the way. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us have a tendency, there's a handful of people who make linear career choices and go down a particular place. And I think, in my opinion, and from what I observed, those people are called, right? Yeah. You know, like they, I want to be a, a doctor, I want to be an attorney, I want to, I mean, there's, or I, I want to be a minister, or I want to be a teacher or a social worker. I mean, though, there, that's, that's a very small group of people from my observations that, that have that calling, and then make those decisions and go down that path. And so many people compare themselves to that and think that they have to be held to that standard but if you're not called how are you possibly going to make those decisions and so you if it's not a calling from the get-go then you just sort of do what interests you and sooner or later you get there it might take 40 years but yeah <laughs> and it's okay there. you're never it's you're always right on time right so absolutely have you always um, wanted to go into politics, to run for office? Is this something that's been a newer ambition? Tell me, let's You know, this that. is a really interesting question because I, uh, when I was running, I remembered something that I totally forgot um, oh. when I was in high school. Uh, I was, uh, in high school, you, we, we did this, uh, sociology project and I decided that I was going to um uh it's funny now that I think about it it's it's actually you know <laughs> I, I'm gonna disrupt the market <laughs> and uh there were a bunch of people who needed money in high school to do things and yet they had uh they had limitations I was an athlete in school I was um you know state champion and track and all that kind of stuff and so track was a big thing and if you were an athlete you have a very limited window of when you have time that is not structured around practicing or competition but you still have this need for cash right mm -hmm. And so I put together a, um, my project was, is like, well, let's just, you know, this is, uh, I think before spreadsheets. Wow, that's how old I am, right? Uh, <laughs> um, where you'd put together everybody's availability, you know, gather all the, gather all the high school kids, when are they available? And then basically, um, you know, uh, flex schedule them to yeah. a, a, a one job and have a couple of people, or most of it was based on things like that were easy, that were a little more flexible, like uh, childcare or yard care, that kind of mm. thing. And, uh, you know, I got an A on the project and then I got some word from uh, city council that, you know, where they, you get the recognition and they give you the little plaque and, I, and, and I'm sitting in city council meeting looking at because you have to sit through the whole thing yeah. and i'd never been to a city council meeting before and i'm sitting there and i remember going well that's really cool i would like to do that look at those people making those decisions and I'm, and and i'm like yeah i could do that and then i remember having a conversation going yeah i want to get into politics that's what i want to do is i want to be a politician and i remember the guy that i was dating at the time going really you know what people think politicians <laughs> and i'm like no but it was really cool and i completely forgot about that 
I had that, that thought and that memory didn't come up until I was having a discussion with my fiance prior to running. Um, and, and somehow he asked that question and, you know, my brain just dug back and threw this piece of information at me and I went, wow, I did, didn't I? But, but prior, but I had that thought and I had that because I was 16, I had that thought for like, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes. (laughs) And, and then I completely forgot about it and went on doing my life and doing my thing. And, and, uh, I never really thought about it again until somebody asked me so did I always have this driving ambition to be a politician no but I I, it's funny how the universe works right I did have that random thought when I was 16 and I'm like huh maybe maybe we were just holding on to that and um what really got me interested in politics was the 2016 election yeah and um I was agog with the fact that uh, we know, well, knowing what we know now, and knowing it, it, it's not necessarily a Republican Democrat thing, it's just that the uh, forty-five as a candidate just completely blew up all of the the traditional protocol for um, you know how we do things and the dignity of the office of the president, and. Um, that just devastated me that that we would um have our democracy in peril and you know at that time everybody was uh you know no it's how bad could it be (laughs) and knowing what we know now i mean we had an insurrection for god's sake and and there's uh there's just our democracy is really really fragile and so 2016 started getting me interested into politics. And then, um, well, here's an interesting story. Um, I've, I've always, I was a competitive, super competitive athlete. And in 2014, I was the number two ranked female cyclist in California for my age group, you know, masters cycling. If, if you don't know anything about masters competition, it's for people who are athletes, but are old and, and still want to be able to compete. And, and what it does is it levels the playing field so that you're competing against your, you know, in, in your age category generally, yeah. but in cycling, um, uh, in how I got to be the number two cyclist had nothing to do with masters racing. I was beating 20 year olds and 17 year olds, but I came to Ogden in 2014 to race the USA masters nationals, uh, series. And, um, you know, I came here wanting a national Jersey and, um, I did the same thing that everybody who isn't from Ogden or Utah, Utah, (laughs) Ogden, where's that? Never heard of that. And, and I got here and it's spectacular and it's beautiful. I had a couple of days to kill before the race and um, I just fell head over heels in love with it. It was, it was a lot like Chicago in, it has a warm Midwestern friendliness that people have. And of course it's spectacularly beautiful and it has gorgeous historic buildings. And, um, you know, at that time we were thinking of leaving Los Angeles anyway we were just looking at different cities because the cost has just gotten so out of control yeah we put ogden on the list and um we came here and we decided and um and the interesting part of that is is uh in 2014 racing masters nationals uh with one lap to go um uh, what happened 
is what happens in racing is somebody took me out and crashed me out and I had a traumatic brain injury. I hit the back of my head at 28 miles an hour and I lost a year of my life. And I had, um, I had uh, post-concussion syndrome and I had uh, all sorts of issues. I mean, you know, I, I literally spent the first four months in a dark bedroom going from the bedroom to the bathroom to the kitchen and that's it. Yeah. And I had uh, what's called a nomic aphasia, where you know what an article is that you want, but you can you know what it does and you know what the use is, but you can't find you can't access the word. Yeah. Like hand me that the thing you scoop sugar with and you put it in your coffee and you use it to stir spoon. Yes, I would like the spoon, yes. please. Oh, man. And so that was um, terrifying, right? You know, I mean, I make my living putting together words and concepts and, and, and I couldn't do that until my, you know, my brain was broken for a while until it healed. And um, consequently, I couldn't work. And when I tried to get back to work, um, I had to ease into it in a very part-time way because I had brain stimulation where I would have panic attacks, uh, brain overstimulation, and I would have panic attacks. And um, it was really, really challenging. And I took a engagement with a local civic group in Los Angeles for the arts district. And uh, it was part-time and it was total flex. So I could work when I want, when I needed. So if I had a migraine or if I just couldn't cope, I could, you know, compartmentalize what I was supposed to do so it was like and and it you 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 get where you need to be exactly when you're supposed to be there I mean this job couldn't have been more perfect for somebody recovering from a traumatic brain injury without a doubt and um that really got me interested uh that was I took that job in late 2000 the very beginning of 2015 And then I had that for about two years. And this civic organization, my job was to lobby the city for the needs of the community. And, you know, we need a stop sign. So I get a stop sign. We we have these problems. And in Los Angeles, it's a nebulous thing of like, Mm -hmm. who are you supposed to call for this? I don't know. You can't see it, but I'm throwing my hands up and making this huge face. Um, that that is like, well, I don't know. Um, and it because I was connected through the organization because I was an official representative for this group to lobby the city. I knew who to call. I could pick up the phone and I could make things happen. And and I could by solving someone's problems impact their life and make it better. And that's really where it came from. That was one of the most gratifying jobs I've ever had. And um, that kind of like, and then 2016 happened and I'm like, well, clearly I have to get into politics because the only way that you create change is to shift power and change policy. And that's politics. Yeah. Yeah. So Either why? that or be Bezos, right? You know, yeah. and <laughs> billions of dollars and just pay for things that you want. <laughs> Yeah, the path to uh, getting there is probably quicker. Yeah, politicians probably a little easier. <laughs> Run as a woman, <laughs> which is a whole nother hurdle, right? So, so well, yeah, that was probably way more than you bargained for. No, but <laughs> as soon as you started um, explaining that job, I'm like, oh, it all makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Like, because I see you doing that around Ogden, even before 
you um, decided to run. I saw you being so involved and so part of the conversation and bringing people's awareness to things that were going on and needs of the community and things that needed to change and stop signs that needed to be installed. And mm. right. So like that was, so that all makes sense to me now. I'm like, oh, that's where that, that got um, planted or started. Right. And, mm -hmm. and the connection between if I show up at this community meeting, at this council meeting, if I go do this thing, then change can be made. And I think so many people mm -hmm. are like want change, but don't realize you can't just post about it on fucking Facebook. You just need to like show yeah, up. You got to show up, sign up <laughs> knock some doors, like do the next step of taking action. And I'm like, I've always mm -hmm. seen you as this action taker in the community fighting for what you think is just and right and, and necessary. And, and, and really like speaking for, um, populations that, um, are underrepresented and, mm -hmm. and marginalized. And, and I love that. How and why did you decide to run for mayor? Um, it was uh, one of those things that I had, I had, when I first moved to Ogden, I moved here, we, I drove a U-Haul and uh, got here and we unloaded the U-Haul on Saturday and I was at a city council meeting on Tuesday. And uh, um, and I was at a city council at every single Tuesday because I, knowing what I knew from Los Angeles is like, you need to know what's going on, right? You need mm -hmm. to know who's making the decisions, where the money's going, why is it going there? What, are, what are they not knowing? Um, and so I started with that and, um, I got my, because I understand how important planning is, uh, in the arts district, uh, let me just take a sidestep here. The Arts District in Los Angeles uh, originally started out as a warehouse manufacturing place. And this was back in the 40s where they would have these big, beautiful bow truss buildings. And if you don't know what that is, it's the big U-shaped ceiling where, and there's like brick on the bottom and the top is wood and it has all this beautiful space. And that's a bow truss building. And, um, that particular area of Los Angeles was designed so that uh, the street, the sidewalks were triple wide so that you could push carts from one manufacturer to another so you could manufacture goods, right? You know, you take this one thing, you know, Bob makes this widget and then it needs to be put in this box. And so you walk it down the street to give it to Joe and they put it together and boom, product, right? Um, so Los Angeles is not a walkable city, but the arts district is because <laughs> of those triple wide sidewalks. And, um, it was kind of zombie land for a while. Uh, and artists go to where they can afford and they're usually starving and poor until they're successful. And so what happened was, is a bunch of artists would rent these warehouses to create their magic and they would live there because they had water because of manufacturing and the people who leased them those spaces just kind of turned a blind eye to yeah. letting them live there and then fast forward uh the zoning changes a little bit so that you can live there and what happens is you have this huge this area where all of a sudden somebody graduates people are living there and now they can live there legally and somebody graduates culinary school and you know opens a little restaurant and then there's a bodega on the corner and then there's because everything's so cheap it 
inspires creativity and people bring different businesses and they create this eclectic community that just has art everywhere because it's a community of artists right you know random sculptures places murals were just put up because and and so it becomes this really unique and interesting place and then everybody discovers it and developers show up and start putting in apartment buildings and then the real estate just spirals out of control and there's no real planning and people are putting cheap shoddy construction in there and tearing down these beautiful bow truss buildings because it's cheaper to tear it down and build a, a you know a cheap apartment building than yeah. it is to work around that and so that nonprofit that i worked for um that was what they were trying to do is they were trying to preserve the community and make sure that the identity of the arts district stayed the arts district and so knowing all of that, and we sued the city of Los Angeles and we won and we put a moratorium on there for an environmental report to, it, it's just a stall yeah. to get more time. But, um, so when I moved here, uh, I'm like, okay, how do I get on the planning commission? And yep. cause I know how important that is. And so I was on the planning commission in 30 days for moving here. Amazing. And so the long-winded answer of that that question of like you know why did you run and you know why did you get involved in all of that has everything to do with i've seen what it looks like when it goes really badly i know what a housing crisis looks like i know what a homeless crisis looks like and, and y'all have no idea how no, bad it can get no idea. and and we are in a position in ogden that we have a window yeah. If you can do a better job of managing, you can keep the horse in the barn. And there will be a point in the time where it goes too far and the horse is out of the barn and you cannot put it back. And so that's why I ran is because there is a lot of policy and procedure that are not in place for the long-term good. Yeah. And and we need to we need to make policy that is for the betterment of people's lives and right now it's only policy that is for the betterment of certain people's lives yes so i mean and we're a working class town right yeah you know yeah i mean the average median income here is uh just around fifty thousand dollars which you know uh is a lot of money to some people you know we have thirty thousand people that live at or below poverty and that is uh, seventeen thousand dollars and below. And isn't that and a third of the population? That's in a third of the population. And so, you know, there's there's some things that that need to shift to provide opportunity to allow people to get on a track to buy a condo or a tiny home or you know, I mean, and, and that's the model from the planning point that needs to change. Is we're doing the same thing as far as developing property and mm -hmm. expecting a different result and we have to change the model we have to allow smaller things to be built so that people can get into them save some money yeah. and 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 then move to the next step to a bigger house where they can have kids and or, or all those kind of things so that's why i ran because there are policies that are not set up for our long-term good yeah tell me what it was like taking on a multiple term incumbent at white male in Utah, being a Latina from being an outsider, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Well, that was the biggest objection that most folks have is like, 
you haven't you haven't been here and you know they're right right if you yeah. just look at the time frame i'd been here for just under two years at the time of election and that is kind of crazy but as we were talking about my level of engagement is more than some people who've lived here their entire lives right yeah. you know because my hair's on fire because i <laughs> intend to grow old and die here and i've you know i most so many times i feel like the ghost of christmas future look look <laughs> you know because if, if y'all don't start doing something this is yeah. what's gonna happen yeah and and you need to step up and start planning for that and so i i got a lot of i got a lot of flack for it i mean and, and the that was the biggest objection. You hadn't been here long enough. And that's a hard one to overcome because all it took was for somebody to talk to me mm-hmm. and hear why I was doing what I was doing, what was wrong, here's the past experience, here's what's really happening. Because, you know, dude, I haven't missed a single city council se- session or a work session in four years. So I know, I mean, at, at now it's almost four years, but I mean, when I got here, I hadn't missed one and I know what was going on and then nobody goes and nobody listens because they're, you know, you have life, right? You have work, kids, play. A lot of times it, it, it you know, you have to be really invested to want to sit through a city council meeting because they're really <laughs> long and boring. But that's where the decisions are made that impact your life and spend your tax dollars. And, you know, somebody's got to be looking out for that. So that was the biggest objection. Yeah. And the other thing was, is, um, you know, uh, the current mayor is a likable guy. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's not a he's not a horrible person. He's charming and he's done a great job at learning how to speak like a politician. I was a gog during the debates where like they'd ask a question and he wouldn't answer it. It was you'd be like words, words, (laughs) feel good. And I'm like, dude, he didn't answer the question. So, um, so that was, it was challenging and I didn't really, um, I had a couple of experiences, experiences knocking doors where I, there, I, I encountered racism and it wasn't necessarily towards me, um, because, uh, if you're listening and you can't see me, I am a light-skinned Latina. I quote, I quote unquote pass. I could be Greek. I could be Italian. I mean, you know and I don't speak with an accent. So you just know that there's some sort of ethnicity going on there and you don't know exactly what it is. I mean, of course, if you know friends that are Latino, you can go, oh, I totally see that. And plus my last name is Castillo, Um, but this is also Utah and it's distinctly possible that I married a Mexican, right? (laughs) Um, So I would have, people asking me questions about immigration and I'm like, dude, this is municipal. I have nothing, the, the, the city can't do anything about immigration. That is the state's issue. That is the federal issue. And then the people would just go off on this tirade of those people. And you just have to sit there and go, I'm one of those people and yeah. you just don't know it. <laughs> and so that, that was interesting. And, um, I encountered a lot of, uh, sexism and i know exactly the moment that it happened like right up into the primary um i had i felt really good about things and um and i had a i had a debate a couple of debates with the mayor um the current mayor and on the final debate i decided that i was going to um I was gonna, I was gonna pull up the covers and go look, 
all of these things. These he's gonna say this and he's gonna do this, and these are the things that are happening, and these are not good things. And I got a whole lot of feedback that um you were mean. Oh, and then all of a sudden, and, and and I've watched those debates and I have those debates and they are nothing but me talking facts. It's just that I wasn't all warm and fuzzy and, and I'm like, and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and they're doing this and this and and, and then I was the aggressive woman. Yep. Heaven forbid to be a direct had woman I been, nobody facts. would ever yeah, nobody would ever say that about a male. But because no. I was a woman, I was mean and 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 there was no mudslinging. There was no character mm -hmm. defaming. The, these were just hard, straight facts of what's happening. And I got the social media feedback. I heard people talking about it and I'm like, are you kidding me? And so it was uh, it, it was interesting. And then I also um, I had lunch with um, a supporter of mine who had written a, you know, a pretty good sized check and and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, you would have made a great mayor and I know you care and, you know, and it's and and this is this is out of the out of the mouth of this is a straight up microaggression because uh, old white guy, Utah, right? Mm -hmm. He said, um, you know, if it wouldn't if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, that last name and you were a woman, you would have won. And I'm like, and it, and and he meant it in the nicest way possible. I mean, he yeah. it, in his mind it was a compliment that that you know this is just the way that it is. But it it was a straight up microaggression, you know, you know, like change your last name and you know, I, I, it's yes. so we, have a, we have a long way to go. And and these little microaggressions happen all the time. Yeah, and people aren't aware that they're doing it because they are completely oblivious to the privilege that they have or looking at things from a, a different perspective of, uh, you know, how we don't realize that we have been conditioned from birth to play a role as a woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just take the race thing out of it. Let's just talk yeah. about being a woman. And um, it's really interesting. And we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's true of anywhere you live, right? There's this is your role as a woman, mm. but if you step inside of Utah, it's even more confining um, because yes. the dominant um, belief system, the um, execution of role as woman in Utah is very so heavily prescriptive and mm -hmm. and very um, like almost enforced and followed more so than I feel like other places I've lived where it's like, you know, me walking around as a woman, you know, in my late thirties, early forties with no children that just like made all of their heads explode. Mm -hmm. Right. Why don't, why aren't you yep. like, why don't you have children? Why don't you get the fuck out of my uterus? Like it's yeah. not what, what makes you think that that's an acceptable question to ask someone a perfect stranger in the grocery store line. Like I can't even tell you how many times, why don't you have children? who the fuck are you and why like, mm -hmm. no. what makes you think that that's an acceptable question to yeah. ask a complete stranger yeah like you don't know if like i have some sort of thing going on that's preventing me from being exactly like it really, really hurts but also even if it's not that it does it's none of your business like you don't have not earned the right to prescribe mm -hmm. womanhood to me and so mm -hmm. this is just one example of, i feel like how in Utah, it is very much more like 
I don't know, a couple decades behind. Yeah, we're 20 years behind at least. Yes. <laughs> at least. So I commend you for being a woman deciding to run for politics, being a woman of color choosing to, to run for politics in, in Utah. So Well, I didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious, right? Because it, it, that was that I think that actually played a large part in it had because um, a mayoral campaign is an incredible amount of work. And um, had I known now what I knew then, I know me and I know I still would have run, but I would have had a whole lot of trepidation and, and, it, and it would have been a, a bigger step to take. Um, but it's that whole thing about uh, had, I, had I known how, how blatant the sexism was going to be, how entrenched the roles were, I probably would have been a less, little less, yeah, let's do this, <laughs> you know? Oh, how funny, how funny that like. So does that like make you approach like a re-election differently, like the decision? A little. Um, I All the platforms that were important to me are still important to me and I'm still gonna campaign on those things because the system is still broken. Mm -hmm. um, but I am all, I've also a lot more cognizant of the language of quote unquote, Utah nice. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, there, there's um, a dumbing down uh, the, a, a, a filter that has yeah. to happen so that you don't scare the old white men. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, I'm not going to change anything I'm going to do, or I'm going to say as far as the core concepts, but some of the messaging and the words I choose may be different. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. So in terms of I know that there, this is something that you've encouraged so many women. I see you all the time encouraging women to run, women yeah. to um, be represented, to take a seat at the table, to mm -hmm. enter politics. Tell me, like, some of the tools and the resources that you that you've that's helped you get to where you are, and that you that you um, and just kind of like what you've learned to help other people who have like that. Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe one day I might want to, but I'm scared. Mm -hmm. Well, in Utah specifically, there's an organization called the Women's Leadership Institute. It is run by a former senator named Pat Jones, who is amazing. <laughs> and uh, what it does is it's it's a primary kind of campaign 101 of what's involved, right? I mean, yeah. you can read a lot of books, but I myself am a doer seminar. I mean, I, I like that kind of interaction as opposed, I mean, I read a lot of, but yeah. I like that, like, let's talk to people who have done this. Let's hear their experience. I like a classroom experience. And the Women's Leadership Institute, it, it's a political cohort. I think it runs for six months and it's once a month for three hours and they give you lunch and they alternate between Salt Lake City and uh, Sandy. So it's kind of in the middle of where the most of the population is. And um, that was a, it was an invaluable experience. Um, they offer uh, scholarships. I actually, last year I had, I, I gave between myself and uh, uh, one of my supporters uh, gave two scholarships mm -hmm. and um, you know, and it's money well spent. It's a few hundred bucks. It's not like it's this huge deal. Um, 
and that was really good because it's uh they also encourage women to take it even if you have no interest in politics because what it does is it helps you understand how a campaign runs so that you're a valuable asset to support a woman who does yes and and that that was a the big thing uh the other thing is uh master class is uh has uh carl rove and i can't remember the other guy's name but they're like two of the biggest political minds for national politics and that master class is really really good um it kind of takes you through messaging and stuff and um and then there's also a national organization called she should run um that you can take it's like a one-day thing um so those those have been great and then uh the most recent thing that i've signed up for and i'm thrilled is the campaign school at yale um right run at yale university and they accept 80 people a year and uh here's the here's the i'm a data person right so this is a big deal to me 2020 we had the pandemic right everything Mm -hmm. changed can you imagine having to run a political campaign in 2020 where you're gonna get elected in 2020 well um 20, the Yale Campaign School had a cohort in 2020, and every single person who went through the 2020 cohort and ran a campaign got elected. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah. So I'm like, I want some of that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I saw it and I applied, and um, it's going to be a really intense program. Uh, for five days. And I'm super excited. And I'm taking it, of course, to to help me. But um, I have uh, 2022 where I'm not going to be campaigning. So I'm going to be helping using that knowledge to help other women get elected, because that's the only way we're going to change things. You know, we're depending on where you live, your population is at least 50% women, if not slightly above or slightly below. And your representation should look like that. Agreed. We need, and there's so much data and research and evidence that shows mm-hmm. that companies, communities um, do better when women are in power, when they have a seat at the table, they're more profitable, right. um, needs are met, there's mm-hmm. so win-win solutions more often implemented. We mm-hmm. need more women represented, right? It's right. done with like white male power. And like right. And, and, and I think it's important that when when you say that you want to shift the power this isn't it's not male bashing no it is there men men have a place at the table and deserve a place at the table but we need equity our our leadership should look like our population full stop and and so i think that's an important thing to make because a lot of people think wanting equality is is hating men and I'm that that is so far from 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 it it's just equity equity is is what needs to happen both for women and for people of color yeah and you know it's really interesting before we started recording we were having this conversation about sexism and Mm um the patriarchy Patriarchy. and how um you didn't even realize that like that existed because you were within the water, you were swimming mm-hmm. in the water. So you didn't even see that that was That's like right. a filter and a, and, and a thing that happened. I think that it's also true of white men in privilege, in power. Mm-hmm. They don't, because they have always been swimming in a world where they their perspective is the norm. They mm-hmm. don't even realize that they should be asking questions about like, oh wait, how would a woman, what are a woman's needs in this um, decision that I have to make? What are a person of color's needs 
in this, right? And so that's the problem. They don't even realize that their worldview is not everyone's worldview. So it isn't bashing. It's really just like, hey, there's other people who have a much different lived experience and much different needs. And because of that lived experience, because of those needs, we need to take those into account. We need to consider all stakeholders. Yep. And unfortunately, right? Unfortunately, (laughs) because unless they're intentionally going out and having conversations with people who are different and saying, Hey, how should I make this decision? Those, Mm -hmm. those perspectives are not being considered. And that is why we need more representation at the table to demand that those perspectives are taken into account. That's right. That's absolutely right. If there isn't a woman at the table and decisions are being made, not considering that perspective, if you're not at the table, you can't go, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. You need to think about this. And, and I like to, my favorite phrase these days, uh, is unintended consequences. Yes. A lot of people make decisions and do things and go, yeah, this could be great. We are totally going to import this animal from another country to bring it in here to manage this pest problem. What could possibly go wrong? Well, maybe if you had a biologist at the table, they would have gone, uh, excuse me, uh, no natural predators. It's going to overpopulate. It's going to decimate these other populations all because a biologist wasn't at the table Yeah. because people making those decisions didn't understand science. It translates exactly to that when it comes to women at the table. Our, our opinions are different and our experience are different and our perspective is needed to make sure that decisions are made that consider the society as a whole, men and women. Yeah. And conversely, you know, a, t- a table that only has women sometimes forgets the male perspective. <laughs> well, I fully agree with that, except when it comes to a woman's body. Oh, fuck yeah. 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 <laughs> I-, I don't want you making decisions about my body unless you've got a uterus yeah. or identify as a woman and have done so for quite some time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so do you want to speak real quick to the the feminism or gosh, the sexism patriarchal point that we were chatting about before. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had, um, you know, I, I made it to 40 until I realized that I did live in a patriarchy and that (laughs) my experience was different and was impacted. And I was the fish swimming in the water. Um, I was, uh, this is a funny story. I was racing bikes, right. And, um, there in Los Angeles, there's this team that's uh, sponsored by Metro Mint, which is a mint flavored water. And um, they big team, right? Mostly women. Uh, but there were a couple of male cyclists and they were refer- referred to as minties, right? The, and they're like, oh, there's there's Metro Mint. There are the minties. And um, up until that point, I had never seen a male male minty right it just happened to be all women and after a race while you're waiting for the next one everybody's like kind of on their bikes and they're in their kits and they're wearing helmets and glasses and and if you're not familiar with it it it, the fact that you're in spandex and you have you know racing glasses and a helmet on really takes away a lot of identity um i i have literally had my fiance walk right by me 
because he didn't recognize me because I was wearing sunglasses and the helmet and the kit. And they're like, well, y'all look the same. And, and of course, everybody's like, no, we don't. But, you know, just that first glance of, yeah. Yeah. And um, so I walked up to this group of people of cyclists that I knew and I went, as I live and breathe, it's a miracle. I never, it's a unicorn. I never thought I'd ever see a male minty. And because there's only one person in a minty kit standing there. And then everybody gets really, really quiet. And, and then I realize that, uh, and then the, the, the minty opens their mouth and starts talking. And then I realize that that, that particular minty is not a male minty, but a technical presenting female minty. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was mortified and I'm like, Oh, I didn't see the boobs. And, and then this is how Virginia and I became really good friends because at that particular point in time, Virginia was, uh, Virginia is, uh, pronouns are they, them. But at the time, Virginia was not using they, them. So deep inside, it was like, I am male, I'm presenting, well, they. And and so there was a little bit of like, yeah, I am not presenting as a woman. I am not identifying as a woman. And so, yeah, so we so we got, that's how we became best friends over that huge, embarrassing moment. Um, and Virginia has a doctorate from uh, USC, in uh no excuse me i'm sorry ucla um in uh women's studies and art and as virginia and i became friends uh we started talking about patriarchy and the very first discussion i ever had about patriarchy was virginia and virginia started asking these questions and and just for clarity virginia uses virginia but identifies as they so in case there's a little bit of dissonance that's happening. Um, and when I speak, Virginia is one of the smartest people that I know. And and I, I tell you, I feel a little stupid every single time I speak with Virginia because Virginia is so bright. And Virginia kept rolling out these examples of and asking me questions. And do you really think that you had to do that? Did somebody say that to you? Well, you realize that's sexism. You realize that's a microaggression. And and I was so in the water, I had never really realized it. And because yeah. I'm like, I'm a strong woman, I do what I want and all that kind of stuff. I hadn't really realized that I was still operating in this system. And I hadn't, I just didn't have the the examples and the tools to identify what was happening to me. And it, it's, it's at this very, subtle level it's not like somebody walks in with a pitchfork and goes you're a woman get out (laughs) but there's you're treated differently and you know you would you would never call a male sweetheart you would never call a male darling in a business situation in a business setting you would not sit at a table and have a male counterpart walk in and go hey bob would you get us all some coffee Right. And you, you would never do that. And so little things like that, once you start opening your eyes and looking at them, they're, they're kind of shocking, right? And and having these conversations and, and then looking back, I'm going, wow, wow. And then we talked a little bit about education and, and what happens is there's actual statistics that, that apply to male and female. And then they're even more extrapolated when you put in people of color where a uh, a, a girl is 
in in a, a fifth grade girl is bossy and a fifth grade boy is a leader mm-hmm. and um you know the whole interrupting or talking too much that's that's those are adjectives that are assigned to women mm-hmm. whereas there he's a strong he's such a strong personality or he's such a natural leader and and so there are these dynamics that are put on and roles that are put on men and women as children and we are conditioned it is literally and this is a horrible thing but it's the the truth that that whole frog in the boiling water thing right it's like who does that but (laughs) but but it's absolutely true if you are in slightly warm water as you gradually turn up the temperature you're just going to adjust to it because you're like, oh, this is what it is, rather than if you took someone who was uh, not in the pot and threw them into the water that somebody's already adjusted to, they're like, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. And and that's kind of what it's like. And and we have a lot of work to do. And it's so important that women run for office and it doesn't matter if you win because you have changed the narrative and the conversation by you sheerly being and running. I cannot tell you how many uh, personal messages or stories I have been told by parents who have said things about their kids of like, wow, that's really cool that she's running. The fact it should it should be absolutely normal to see women and men running for office because that's what women do. Whereas, you know, oh, there's a woman that's running for mayor. This shouldn't be a big deal. Mm-hmm. This, this, this there should be a woman running every single time for mayor there should be multiple women running for mayor and 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 that's because you need to show other people you you have no idea how many children are impacted just by your presence alone that you're in this race and that that's really cool and you're like oh i didn't i didn't know i could do that you you can't be what you can't see and yes. if you don't have women in leadership positions, it, 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 you, you need to have little girls and little boys see that as normal and not necessarily little teenagers, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm, couldn't be more proud to know you and to see you doing what you do in the community to, to make it a better place to live, to make it the best place to live, like how much ownership you have taken in that and how much you encourage other women to step up, right? Because I, I think that the, that coded language matters, right? We hear those messages and we hear that leadership is for boys and not for girls. And even like, as we get into leadership positions, the, the language that people use at us, right? Like you're talking mm-hmm. about um, like the, the calling a woman sweetheart, I instantly went back to, me sitting at a boardroom table being called honey oh honey (laughs) right yeah i the only exception i would ever make to that is maybe if you were in the south where everybody calls everybody honey maybe yeah it's still not appropriate in a boardroom but you know i'd maybe give you a little more leeway with that but yeah it's so you would never do that to a male you would never hear a male call another male honey yeah just wouldn't happen it's just that kind of um low-grade like patronizing behavior that then like it kind of i don't know i think subconsciously time out time out this is i i have to share something right now i just want everybody to pay attention to the fact that that she said patronizing and not patronizing that is one of my key things there's a difference 
patronizing is something uh, that you do with the there, there pat on the head um, or uh, patronizing is what you do in a store. And, and I'm just so thrilled that you use that word correctly. It's my big thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's my big thing. So yay. I'm yay. so proud. Thank you words so matter. much. You matter. have made my day. Yeah, no words matter. Right. And so, but I think it's those like, um, low grade, microaggressions mm -hmm. that subconsciously make you question yourself and that desire to, yeah. to more to put yourself like if if you get that low grade kind of microaggression and commentary not even putting yourself out there for like a bigger thing like running for office you know it's that kind of like oh mm -hmm. what am i putting what am i putting myself out there what what am i going to have to endure mm-hmm and one of the things that I think is important that you brought up is like, it, I think people need to get familiar with the term microaggression mm -hmm. because not a lot of people realize it. And here's a connection that I'd like to make. Um, I am not a sociologist and I don't have anything to do with, um, you, you know, play one on social, television. but I play one on television. No, but, <laughs> but I know a lot of friends that are social workers. Right. Yeah. And so I get to glean a lot of information from them. They, they, you know, they give me the cliff notes to the stuff that they went to school and got multiple degrees for. Um, and there is something called an ACE scoring system and, uh, basically overly simplified for laymen. It's this great science-based thing that says that when things happen to you in life, either a physical violence or a sexual assault or words of you're not good enough, you're ugly, you're stupid, you don't matter, emotional abuse, mm -hmm. it is the same. You get a score on that system and they've, they've, they've studied populations for over 20 years using this system and they have determined that when people have a higher ACE score, it completely affects how they do in life. And yep. so microaggressions are a form of an ACE scoring. It's, it's emotional, you're, you're taking that on and you're carrying that around and on a subtle way, it's somebody whispering in your ear your entire life, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're just a girl, you can't do this. You take an entire lifetime of that and you will believe that. Yeah. And, and, and so it's really important that, you know, words matter. I mean, that is one of my big, big, big things is words and how you say them and what you say have an impact and there's scientific data to back it up that oh, it, it, oh emotional abuse is is the same as physical abuse and affecting an outcome and if somebody continually belittles you in a microaggression way that's the same thing it's just a softer version of it mm -hmm. and it's actually it takes longer and it's a little bit harder to heal from that right like right. physical abuse the, the cuts mm -hmm. the bruises adhesions mm -hmm. those clear up but it's it's that mental and emotional impact even of the yep. physical abuse that's the part that takes the longest and you kind of have to just um evict that bullshit out of your brain <laughs> and that's your that's your gig is yeah. helping clean out that closet right yeah. i mean to to get people to stretch beyond the what do you want you can have anything what does it look like let me help you get there that's what you do right yeah for sure and i, I mean i think it's it's totally true that we can all have anything that we want mm -hmm. anything is possible for everyone right like quote unquote the american dream 
but we do have to recognize privilege and the fact that we're not mm -hmm. all starting at the same starting line and that some of us have a higher ACE score and more trauma mm -hmm. and more bullshit that we have to heal from in order to do all things. But the yep. thing is like, it doesn't matter whatever you want, go for it. Like be willing to do the work because you can have it. And yes, ma'am. I love that like you are an example of that and like showing up and taking on a hard like run in a, in a city that was maybe not so ready to see a woman in that role. Well, because they're a little bit behind, but like, I know you're going to keep like chipping away at it. Yeah. And, um, one parting thought before I, I got to get going. Yeah. Um, I didn't win. Um, if I would have flipped 801 votes, I'd be mayor. And in the so big close. scheme of things, that's, that's close, right? It's like, you so know, close. 12%, 10%, you know, I mean, it's close. Um, but running for office connected me to my community in a way that I couldn't possibly imagine more so than I was before I ran. And that was front and center for 2020 in COVID. I literally had complete strangers reaching out to me via DM. How, will you help me? I don't have any food. I can't pay my rent. I lost, you know, we both lost our jobs and, and we had people who were experiencing challenges who would, who didn't know where the food kitchens were, didn't know how to access them. Didn't, I, I mean, didn't know where to start because they'd never experienced that before. And because I ran for office and because I'm more accessible than the city, they reached out to me. Yeah. And I was able to connect them. I mean, uh, through Project Success, which is a nonprofit that I do some work with, you know, we had over um, 120 people that we helped with grants for rent. Um, you know, I got people connected to food pantries. I had I, all be, and food scarcity is a real thing in Ogden. I mean, it's real. It's not just a handful of folks. It is people who have two jobs and multiple kids who lost half of their hours who I get a DM that says, you know, I, I don't know who to ask, but I have four cans of tuna fish and a bag of rice and my sons don't, I'm dis disabled and my sons don't get paid for nine days. What do I do? Yeah. And you know, this is, this is one of those things that needs to change is food pantries are only open Monday through Friday. They're not open on the weekend. And this woman reached out to me Friday night mm. and you know, I'm like, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. You know, I called my church. We have an emergency fund. Uh, you know, I got a hundred dollars. I bought her some groceries. I drove them over. I gave her a list of all the food pantries and when, and when to go and how, so she could have food for her yeah. family. And that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have run for office. And it didn't matter if I won or not. It mattered that I was accessible and connected. Yeah. It was all about change. That's right. And so it doesn't run for office asks, ask a woman to run for office, ask her again. And it doesn't matter if you win because your presence in the race will change how people look at women in leadership and it will connect you to community so that people will reach out to you to get help or work on projects because they see you as a person who cares. So, you know, doesn't matter. I mean, obviously winning is awesome because you can change yeah. a lot faster, but, but it, 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 it's not a waste of time at all. And, and dude, I had like three job offers just because I was running. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. You can do that. And yeah, you want to work for me? Uh, no, but thanks. Yeah. So, um, oh, I love that. And, and I, I really want to encourage everyone who's listening. Cause I think so many people love to complain about politics. <laughs> 
do something about it. Get involved. That's Doesn't right. You have to run, but you can knock on doors. You can make phone calls. You can support candidates who are aligned with the change that you want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways. Like if you want politics to change, if you want leadership to change, if you want governing to change, it is a representative representational democracy. Get fucking involved. Amen. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. If people want to connect, um, I'll put it in the show notes, but where can they find you? Um, how about my website? And then <laughs> it's connected to my social media, which will get you to me. Uh, it's angel, the number four, Ogden.com, uh, angelforogden.com. Perfect. Angel, thank you. You are a treasure. I'm so glad that you do for every, but everything you do for the people in the community. Thanks. All right, everyone. Thank you. thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Everyone, thanks for um, joining us and I will talk to you again soon. Ciao, ciao. Awesome. Take care, Dee. If you're ready to execute and achieve your big, bold, unapologetic goals and dreams, join us in the Ambitious Women's Collective Facebook group. It's a space for ambitious leaders, innovators, and change makers. And hey, you belong here too. Come make big things happen with us over at myyeslife.com forward slash group.